Hello, this is Landon. And this is Monique, and we are speaking to you from a beautiful cabin overlooking a lake in the Laurentians in Quebec. The and Laurentian I, Mountains. Mountains, I know. We keep the trying bumps. to say, the, the hills actually, and it's a gorgeous day and we're watching kids tobogganing in the snow. It's absolutely gorgeous. Last year, we started doing this podcast and this year we're quite excited because we are moving forward with having it bilingual. So for those of you who have not been able to listen or listening but would love to hear it in French, please check it out because Denis and Melanie, our colleagues, will be doing these in French as well. Yeah, and it was neat last year when we were together, they did one, one episode, the yeah. D-dimer was done in French and English, and and it's actually kind of, em- <clears throat> excuse me, embarrassing, yeah. but they had more listeners in French <laughs> than we had in English, so I guess... They speak uh, French better than we speak English, is that what you're trying to say? I guess that's what I'm trying to yeah, say. Yeah, probably. Anyway, so, this month, it is Heart Month. It is. National Heart Month in Canada. Exactly. And we're actually going to talk about CHF, in particular, a new treatment for CHF. And you might be wondering why we're talking about CHF, particularly in Heart and Stroke Month. But it is important for us to remember that 9% of deaths in Canada are caused by CHF. And it is the second leading cause of hospitalization in people over the age of 65. Now, for the past 20 years, the cornerstone for treatment of CHS CHF, excuse me, has been um, ACE inhibitors. So imagine the excitement of the cardiology community to be introduced to a new drug in a study that was published in the New England Journal of Medicine in September 2014. The study was so successful that the FDA in the U.S. fast-tracked the drug to be available to the public, and in October 2015, Health Canada has also approved the drug. Now, unfortunately, it may not be available for about a year but wait a minute, before we get kind of carried away, carried away, I know, Monique. I know, I think we should do a quick review of CHF and then talk about the study and its impressive results. And of course, we will be attaching the study in the link so that you can look at it as well on the website. Perfect. So why don't I start with what is heart failure? And, and really what it is, is it's a condition where the heart can't pump blood effectively to the lungs or to the rest of the body. This can be for a number of reasons, but usually it's due to a weakened heart muscle or the heart muscle has thickened or stiffened, making it difficult to fill, blood backs up into the lungs, which is why we call it congestive heart failure. Exactly. And the fluid that collects in the lungs interferes with the ability to breathe, and especially when laying down. And I know I'm probably, a lot of you are rolling your eyes going, yeah, again, we see these people all the time. Yeah. So because the weakened heart pumps less blood than usual, this causes the kidneys and the adrenal glands produce more chemicals, ADH, angiotensin, which helps the body hold on to salt and water, which causes the legs and ankles to swell, which just compounds the problem. And if anyone's ever heard either of us teach, we talk about positive feedback loops. And mm-hmm. once there's a positive feedback loop, there's only uh, one way or one result for that, and it's mm-hmm. uh, death or illness. So in addition, the blood vessels constrict, raises blood pressure, makes it harder for the heart to push blood through the arteries, and there we go. So we often divide CHF into four levels of increasing severity. And uh, you may, it's probably not something you, in the emergency department at the bedside, yell out, oh my gosh, he's in class three failure. Uh, But this is something you'd read in consults or or reference in the cardiology notes. So class one, physical activity is unaffected. Patient has no fatigue, no shortness of breath, palpitations, or pain during normal activities. Class two, a bit of limitation on normal activities. They may experience some mild fatigue, short of breath, palpitations, pain during normal activities, but no symptoms at rest. Class three is marked limitation on normal activities. So they 
do experience fatigue, shortness of breath that limits activity while they're doing it, but no symptoms at rest. And then class four, we can see where this is going, uh, symptoms at rest Mm -hmm. and discomfort increases with any physical activity. And uh, yeah, so this helps nurses understand the severity of patient CHF and kind of helps to guide us in questions when we're doing the history. Yeah, which is helpful, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. so, so important things, do you get tired easily? Do you feel short of breath with activities, any pain with activity or at rest? So you can kind of see those questions we've always been told to ask. That's kind of where we're trying to categorize these people. And maybe not understanding why we were asking those questions, but really understanding that that's tied into the severity of the heart failure itself. Right. So the the other way that doctors classify heart failure is according to whether it's primarily a problem of pumping the blood out of the heart due to a weakened muscle, or if it's a filling problem due to a stiff heart muscle, uh, which is called heart failure with normal ejection fraction. And this type of heart failure accounts for about half of the heart failure patients and is the dominant type seen in the uh, elderly. Elderly, the ejection yeah. fracture, which is why it's so, you will see that written in the notes about the ejection fracture quite often. Right. So what causes these types of heart failure? And we've kind of mentioned it already. The most common causes of heart failure are coronary artery disease, uh, narrowing or hardening of the arteries that supply the blood to the heart muscle, which all of you know, and hypertension. Many people with heart failure have both coronary artery disease and hypertension. And this would explain the heart failure with normal ejection fraction. Heart failure may also be caused by other conditions that weaken or interfere with the heart's function. And probably the one that we consider the most is a previous heart attack, which is uh, really why we focus on getting the vessel open with our STEMIs to preserve our left ventricular function. Other causes include heart valve disease, cardiomyopathies, childhood heart defects, endocarditis, myocarditis, diabetes, and chronic kidney disease. So let's talk a little bit about treatment so understanding the pathophysiology of chf it makes sense that obviously the treatment has to have Mm -hmm. multiple factors so the ace inhibitors uh, decrease the heart's workload diuretics get rid of excess fluid and digitalis increases the contractility of the heart and patients are also asked to do their part and limit their salt intake eat a healthy diet exercise stop smoking of course yeah um and some and some may be actually limited to their fluid intake as well exactly depending on their severity and their ability to still excrete water yeah so now that we've kind of talked about what it is what has been the goal treatment uh standard of treatment for chf let's talk about this new study Um, The study is called uh, Paradigm-HF, and the long um, title is called the Prospective Comparison of ARNI, which is Angiotensin Receptor Neprilysin Inhibitors, which I will forever now call ARNI because that's way too much words, with an ACE inhibitor to determine the impact on global mortality and morbidity in heart failure. And it was a study that came out of the University of Glasgow with um, help from the University of Texas. And it was actually simultaneously published in the New England Journal of Medicine, as well as presented to the European Society of Cardiology in August 2014. Now, the study randomized 8,399 patients with class 2 to 4 heart failure and an ejection fraction of 40% or less to either the ARNI, which they called LCZ696. That's a trendy name. I know, isn't it? Or enalapril, which is your ACE inhibitor, along with the usual recommended therapy. In the trial, 26.5% of those getting the standard medication, which is your ACE inhibitor, either died or were hospitalized due to the heart failure compared with 21.8% of those on the new drug. 
Compared to enalapril or your ACE, this new LCZ696 reduced the risk of death from cardiovascular causes by 20% and the risk of hospitalization for heart failure by 21%. There were also very few side effects or safety concerns with the new drug. In fact, the results were so staggering that the trial ended early after scientists realized it saved more lives than the current gold standard therapy. It is the first treatment in two decades to show a higher survival rate for patients. What is really impressive about this study wasn't that it compared this LCZ696 over placebo, but it was compared favorably over the gold standard treatment of CHF, which is the ACE inhibitor. And the drug itself is actually a combination of two drugs. It's an angiotensin II receptor blocker and the neprilysin inhibitor. I thought you said you were never going to say that. I know. Well, I had to. Um, Each drug works in a different chemical pathway to reduce the workload on a failing heart. The angiotensin II receptor blocker works along the first pathway by blocking a naturally occurring substance that raises your blood pressure, which forces your heart to work harder, and the neprilysin inhibitor acts along a second pathway to enhance the protective hormonal systems of the heart, and this is accomplished by reducing the amount of a certain enzyme that helps control blood volume and lower blood pressure. That's very interesting, but not quite nerdy enough. I know, you and your nerdiness. So really what happens is these angiotensin receptor blockers block the angiotensin II receptors. Those are found in vascular smooth muscle and on cells in the adrenal gland and are responsible for aldosterone secretion. Now, I I know everyone always has that little quiver when they hear the angiotensin, (laughs) renin-angiotensin-aldosterone system. We won't get too far into it, but angiotensin causes both direct vasoconstriction and aldosterone secretion. The aldosterone then acts on the tubular cells of the kidney, promotes sodium reabsorption, which brings water with it and therefore expands extracellular fluid volume. Mm-hmm. So if we block the angiotensin II receptors, we effectively stop this process, cause blood vessel dilation and the excretion yes. of water, reduction of the extracellular fluid volume. Exactly. So the, the nep- neprolysin is an enzyme, uh, a neutral endopeptidase, in fact, <laughs> that degrades vasoactive peptides. So if you block that enzyme, we increase levels of vasoactive peptides, which cause blood vessel dilation, reduction of ex- extracellular volume via sodium excretion. So, so what you're really doing is decreasing the blood pressure, increasing, then not making your heart work as hard, really, is basically yeah, what Yeah, you're taking saying. the fluid out of an exactly. overloaded system. It's kind of like turning on the faucet with a drug that's more effective than yeah. the current drug we have that turns on the faucet. Exactly. So, by the way, this drug is not called LCZ six nine six. They've not? actually I no, I know, name, very Lix difficult six nine six. So it's actually called Entresto, and in October twenty fifteen, the drug was approved by Health Canada. Now, be, I'm going to be very clear that the drug is used to replace your ACE inhibitors, and it should not be used with ACE inhibitors, as having both of those drugs on board increases your risk of angioedema. Some of those common side effects from taking this drug, which you should know because you may start seeing patients with this and they may come into your emergency department with some of these symptoms, hypotension, increased blood potassium, and an impaired kidney function. The most severe adverse effect, and I've already mentioned it, was um, angioedema, which is actually more prevalent in the black population and people with a history of angioedema. It should also not be used in pregnancy. Dr. Andrew Ignace 
Ignaskiewski. Excuse me. Ignaskiewski. I'm so sorry. Um, he's the head of cardiology at St. Paul's Hospital in Vancouver, British Columbia. And he called the drug a major advancement in heart failure treatment in a current newspaper article. He said that it may be another year before Entresto was available in BC, but he will have some samples and hopes to provide it to his patients most in need. He has been involved in the clinical trials here in Canada with Entresto and says that it creates less strain of the heart, makes it work better so you can do more. Your quality of life improves. The biggest improvement in quality of life is the reduction of hospital admissions. With each visit to the hospital, a heart failure patient experiences a decline in health and increased mortality. He also stated that the patients on Entresto were able to do more exercise. Their blood pressure is better. Their kidney function is surprisingly better. And he's very excited because this is a major breakthrough. So very exciting news from the world of cardiology. It makes you really excited about being part of a profession that is constantly seeking better ways to treat our patients. Absolutely. So we we hope that kind of introducing this to you today it might be a while before you see it but i always love it when emergency nurses because we kind of are the last to know about everything and we do this the stare blankly and pretend yeah. look like we know what we're talking about and and hopefully this time you'll be the one who goes oh i've heard of that drug and exactly especially when it. one of your patients starts to come in yeah and they're on that medication so very exciting news for cardiology this month all right we'll see you next month thank you For past episodes and to comment on this episode, please visit our website at nursum.org. That's N-U-R-S-E-M dot O-R-G. You can follow us on Twitter at NursumCast and also find us on Facebook at NursumPodcast. We look forward to your comments and suggestions for future episodes. Remember, before incorporating anything new into your work, ensure you are supported by your own scope of practice, workplace policies, and your own knowledge and comfort. The Nursum Podcast is brought to you by PRN Education. www.prneducation.ca